This morning we're going to continue our series called Masquerade. And the ideal behind that title is that we all have a public presentation of ourselves that we want people to see. But we all have a private self that we don't want anyone to see, that maybe we're discouraged with, or maybe we're embarrassed of. And we've been preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, We refuse to wear masks. And play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. We are afraid to let our true selves be out in the open because we're afraid if people knew who we really are, they wouldn't like us as much or they wouldn't want to hang around us anymore. And one of the big areas in our lives that we mask is our finances. Our nation is in an epidemic of living beyond their means. And it's one area that Jesus confronted many times while he is on this earth. 15% of what Jesus said was about our stuff and about our finances. More than heaven and hell combined. And 16 of the 38 parables he told was about money and finances. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual condition and our stuff. Amen. And so we're going to we're going to go and open that one closet that when you all, you all have that room where when people are coming over you throw everything in that one room and shut the door and hope that nobody opens it. We're going to open that this morning. And it might be uncomfortable But it's time to get it all out and allow God to work in even the most hidden areas of your life. Amen? Uh, On our pastor said last week that he was going to show up at five minutes notice at your house. I got a call one night about, what was it, about 9.30, 10 o'clock. He said, I'm on Dietrich Boulevard. I'm almost there. You've got that long to get dressed and get ready. <laughs> so when he showed up, I conveniently was taking the dog out. So. But we're going to unmask some stuff this morning. See, with the mask on, we see a lot of happy people with a lot of stuff. But there's four conditions I want to talk about this morning that are often behind that mask that have to do with our stuff 
stuff and with our finances, okay? So number one, you're probably suffering from one of these. Number one is distressed. Distressed. It's not exclusive for those who don't have money, but also for those who do. And it seems like a very large percentage of what we worry about or what we are stressed about in life has to do with money. How many could agree with that? Amen? Poor financial decisions can lead to not only financial ruin, but it can ruin your relationships and your life and get you into even legal trouble. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So what's it saying? The person who keeps it in perspective, who is satisfied with working 40 hours a week and living within those means, is content. They can lay down at night and sleep in peace. But somebody who's working endless hours to try to get more and gain more wealth and buy more things, it permits them no sleep. Have you ever seen people like that who never stop, who never slow down, constantly working, constantly on the move, constantly trying to better their financial position to get that next bonus, to... to uh, Get that next promotion. Never at peace. Always trying to keep up with the Joneses. In contrast to those who keep it in perspective and realize that there's more important things in life than wealth and things. A second, the second condition that we suffer from because of our finances is discontent, being discontented. In other words, you're not satisfied with what you have. It's this myth of more, that if I had more money, I would be happy. If I had more stuff, I would be satisfied. If I had the, a newer car, I would be satisfied. If I had a bigger house, I would be satisfied. It is a myth. Because so many people today are living beyond their means. Statistically, there are more people today that are spending more than they earn in America today. Americans, on average, live 120% beyond their wage. And people think, well, if I make more money, then that gap will lessen. But statistically, it does not. The more money people make, the more that they spend, and the greater that gap becomes. That's why we live in a society that's up to their eyeballs in debt. That's why that there's a payday lender on every corner. That's why that you can finance almost anything you want to buy. 
And that is precisely why in the early or late 1990s and early 2000s, our economy crashed because people were spending beyond their means. They were borrowing and borrowing and lenders were giving to people that had, they had no business giving to because there's no way that they could afford those loans. And it created a huge bubble and people began to default, default and we had the financial crash. A, AIG, Goldman Sachs, the Lehman Brothers, Freddie Mae, Freddie Mac, they all collapsed. Some of the biggest financial institutions in the country. Why? Because people refused to live within their means. Think about it. These, a new married couple still paying their student loans, living on a Raymond noodle diet. They could go down and they buy a big four-wheel drive SUV because they're going to go off-road in town, I guess. Then they drive down to Big Sandy and they get an 80-inch screen TV to go in their six-by-eight living room. And then on their way home, they stop at the Apple store and they each get an $1,100 phone on the next plan and pay $300 a month on it. And before you know it, they can't make their car payments. They can't make their rent. And they begin to fight and argue because of their finances and their relationship begins to struggle because of it. And they start asking their parents and trying to get a second job, asking their parents for money or trying to get a second job. And they become distressed because the discontentment in our lives can drive us to very poor decisions in our finances. Discontentment and poor financial decisions can make a ruin of your life. Our nation is trillions of dollars in debt. You can go to the, the debt, nationaldebt.com or whatever it is, and you can watch the national debt continually climb by the second. I believe we're up above 13 trillion, 14 trillion, somewhere in there. We spend more as a nation than we take in as revenue. We have become so accustomed to funding uh, social welfare and so special interest groups that we cannot cut back and live within our means. We continue to spend. And our national debt is a direct reflection of our individual lives. We refuse to accept the fact that we can't afford that. Or we can't afford to live there. Or we can't afford to buy that. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. If you love wealth, you're never satisfied. That is why, church, that the average credit card debt for an American is $9,000. And if you pay the minimum balance or the minimum payment, you're going to wind up paying $29,000. I hope that was worth it. Whatever you bought, I hope it was worth it because you're going to pay dearly for it. 
We have a consumerism mentality instead of a contentment mentality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, a financial, Christian financial author David Ramsey said, it's time for Christians to start living their wage. In other words, start acting your wage. Start living within your means. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If you can learn to be content with what you have and to live within your means and focus on what is important, eternal things, you will be blessed. Amen? Uh, I got to hurry. The next condition is disconnected. Disconnected. How many times in Scripture does God ask us to ask Him? To allow Him to be involved in our life. The, 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 in Proverbs it says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. And yes, that includes your financial decisions. How much different would our financial situation be if we allowed God to help direct our decision making? And 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now you may say, well, I'm not rich. But really, in the broad scheme of things, you are rich. We are among the top 3% in the world. And we think hardship is living in a two-bedroom apartment and driving a used car. But hardship is a mother in Africa who has to kill rats to feed her dying children. Hardship is a family in El Salvador who lives in a little shanty that's not fit for a dog. Hardship is not having clothes to wear or shoes to wear. Or not having clean water to drink. That is hardship. And we must get back into perspective. And stop putting our hope and wealth and in our stuff. And put it back into God and what he values. Amen. The fourth one is we become distracted. Some of you this morning are already thinking about what you're going to do the rest of the day. Or what you're gonna, where you're going for lunch. That's okay. I do it too sometimes. And there are advertisements everywhere uh, to catch our attention. Everywhere you drive, everything you read, every technology you use, everything you watch, there's advertisements to try to get us to buy more stuff. And it's okay to have stuff, but it's not okay for stuff to have you. It's not okay to allow your wealth to possess you. Because we will become distracted. And God blesses us constantly not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Amen? He blesses you and prospers you. Not so like the rich man who, who had so great a harvest that he didn't have enough barns to hold it all. So he said, well, I'll tear down these barns and build bigger barns. No, it's so that when you have abundance, you can bless 
those who are in need and advance God's kingdom with your wealth. Amen? The prosperity doctrine that invaded the evangelical community in the early 2000s was built on a half-truth and it brought dishonor to God because yes, God does want to bless you. But it's not so you can tear down your perfectly good house and build a bigger house. It's so that you can help someone who's in need and advance the kingdom of God. Amen? Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 19. It says, And I say to myself, this is the rich man, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. You're going to die and leave your riches to someone else. And you will have nothing left. But what you invest in the kingdom of heaven is eternal. And when you stand before God, it will stand and you will be blessed for it. Amen. Because if you could spend some time with Jesus, this is how it would go. We would be talking about earthly and carnal things and our troubles and our little lives. And, and he would be constantly trying to direct us to heavenly things, like he did his disciples. Every time he would try to make a spiritual point, they would try to process it carnally. When he told his disciples to beware the leaven of scribes and Pharisees, they immediately said, well, it's, he said that because we didn't bring bread. But no, he was making a spiritual point about bewaring the, the sinfulness of the scribes and Pharisees. Because see, Jesus understands that our life is but a vapor, more than any of us. Just a fleeting moment in time is what our life is. Yet we are so focused on things that make absolutely no difference to our eternity. We spend so much time worrying about things that will be gone in just a moment. When you stand before God, do you think he'll be impressed by your huge classic car collection? Or your 40-foot speedboat? Or your million-dollar home? Or the substantial amount of money that you acquired? you know what the Bible says that Jesus will be impressed with? When I was hungry, Matthew 25 and verse 42, for when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. When I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. When I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. Then will the Lord answer and said, 
Then will they answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. He doesn't care how much wealth you have amassed or how much stuff you have amassed. He wants to know what are you doing to better those around you? What are you doing to advance the kingdom of God? What are you doing to lay up treasures in heaven? Amen. I've got to hurry. Truth about finances is what I want to talk about. I want to give us four points that you can write down, you can take home. I want you to remember. In Haggai chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, it says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them on a purse with holes in it. How many feels like that's describing them? All the money you put in the purse, it's like, where's the hole at? There's nothing left. Could it be that we are in the condition we are today as a nation and individuals, financially, because we have some bad policies or have made some bad decisions? I want to give you four simple truths. Like I said, number one, God owns it all. Write that down. God owns it all. When someone else owns it, it takes the pressure off of you. Amen? Just like the guy I lent my chainsaw and he threw it around and broke it and brought it back to me. He slept good that night because he didn't own it. <laughs> but no, but really, God owns it all. I don't know where that came from, I guess. I guess I need to forgive him. <laughs> really, God owns it all. The Bible says that all the silver and gold is his. And if you can, if you can grasp that, that it all belongs to God, it takes a lot of pressure off you. Not only your money, but your children belong to God. How many people stress over your children? They belong to God. You need to give them to God. Let that pressure get off you. This church belongs to God. I don't, our pastor probably feels like he's carrying the whole thing on his shoulders sometimes, but it belongs to God. I want that pressure to come off you this morning. Your body belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. We get so stressed about stuff that's not really ours to begin with. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 10, David says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise you, the Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. 
Repeat that with me. Everyone together. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. I'm going to trip over that speaker before I'm going to move closer, I guess. There we go. Amen. So it's all his. And you know, Jesus told us to come as a child. If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to come as a child. Children are carefree. Children aren't worried about the money. They aren't worried about this and that because they know that their parents are going to take care of them. I want you to start acting more like a child is what Jesus is saying. Stop worrying about how you're going to get this or how you're going to pay for that or how you're going to get clothes or how you're going to put food on the table and start trusting God because it's his to begin with. Amen? Hallelujah. So God wants us to keep that carefree and trusting attitude throughout our life and quit stressing about stuff that's not ours. Number two, I am his steward. (laughs) I am his steward. We are the steward. We are the manager of God's things. We are supposed to manage his things in a way that honors and reflects him. The question I want to ask you today is, how are you managing God's stuff? Not your stuff, it's God's stuff. And how are you managing it? It's about focusing our attention on God's priorities and trusting him to provide for us. Amen? It is a test. Let me, let me get that through to you this morning. It is a test. And some of us are passing and some of us are not. See, people get scared when they hear the story of the rich young ruler who Jesus, he said, I've done all these commandments. What else do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And he said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. People get scared of that story. But it was a test. He was testing that young man to see what was more important to him. Was it his stuff? Or was it the kingdom of heaven? Would we pass that test? Ask yourself, would I pass that test? It's not just about tithing the 10% and then you keep the rest and you just do whatever you want with it because it's still God's. The 90% is still God's. And he wants you to manage it. He allows you to manage it. And if you wonder why it seems like that you never have enough, and please don't take this the wrong way, but could it be because you're not passing the test? If you had someone that you had hired to manage your business or manage your money, and they had squandered it and mismanaged it, would you give them more to manage Absolutely not. You'd fire them. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10 says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little 
will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Let that sink in. The parable of the talents. When the master went away and entrusted talents to three of his servants, one he gave... Ten, one he gave five, and one he gave one. And when he came back, the first two had took out and, and uh, invested it and started businesses and endeavors and entrepreneurial and had made and, it, and had increased his, their master's wealth. The one hid it, buried it, and did nothing with it. And the Bible says that he took even that one talent that he had and gave it to the one that had been faithful. If you want to be blessed financially, you better start being a better steward of God's money. Amen? All right. Number three. God's principles work. This is the most important part right here. If you don't catch anything else, catch this. God's principles work. We need to give first. As a church, we've made this a priority. Not only do we tithe on your tithe, but God gave Rick and JW a vision that we're not going to go to the community with our hand out, always having fundraisers and asking for money from the community, but we're going to be a hand up for those who are in need. And God has blessed this church for it and provided for us. God Give God the 10%. Dayton read the scripture this morning out of Malachi 3 and verse 10. says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God, down through time, God's people, there has been a principle in place that the first 10% of any money or any increase is to be given to God. And then offerings on top of that. This is the one time in the Bible that God said to test him. So if you're struggling financially and you're not really sure about tithing, give it three months. This isn't about increasing the church's finances. This is about following the principles of God's word. Give it three months. Begin to tithe 10% of your income and see if God does not begin to move in your financial situation. Amen? I used to pray over people's finances all the time. And the Holy Spirit convicted me at one point and said, unless they're willing to follow the principles in God's word, their financial situations will never change. So you need to communicate that to them. My parents taught me at a very young age to tithe. I remember filling a tithing envelope full of change, turning it in. If I got 50 cents, I'd put a nickel in that tithing envelope. It might seem like nothing, but they instilled a principle in me that has lasted to this day that has made me be able to be financially stable and financially blessed, even when I was unemployed, because I followed God's principles 
and he promised to pour out a blessing I would not be able to contain. Amen? Lastly, let's read Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. You honor God and follow his principles, and you will be blessed. Okay, now lastly. Heaven is my goal. That's what it's all about for me. Let, you know what insider trading is? It's what Martha, Martha Stewart went to jail for. It's what a lot of politicians have went to jail for. They've got inside information about something that's going to happen in a major publicly traded company and they make financial decisions, investment decisions based on that to save themselves from, a, from financial ruin or to make a windfall. Well, Jesus gave us some insider trading tips. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So here's the insider trading tip. Whatever you store up here on this earth is gonna be taken. It's going to be destroyed it's not going to benefit you anything in the end. But whatever you store up in heaven will last forever. Whatever you invest in the kingdom of heaven, in the treasury, in the bank of heaven will not only endure, but Jesus said, whatever you give up in this earth for my name's sake, I'll give you a hundredfold in my kingdom. It'll gain interest. So my financial advice to you this morning is stop worrying about your carnal finances as much and start worrying about your eternal investments. Amen? If they could come to the instruments, I'm getting ready to close. Heaven is my goal. It's what it's all about. We're just here for a moment. The psalmist said, we're like the dew. We're like the grass of the field that's here today and gone tomorrow. We're like the vapor in the air that's just for a moment and then it's gone. Yet we're so worried and so stressed out and devote so much of our time and our resources to things that'll be gone tomorrow. I know unmasking this area of our life is uncomfortable and even painful. But it is needful. This isn't my favorite type of message to preach. But Jesus 
thought it was important. And it's important that we communicate to you the principles of God's word and how they apply to your life. It's time to bring every area of our life into subjection to God, including our finances. It's time to stop being distressed, disconnected, discontented, and distracted. We need to remember that, number one, God owns it all. He has made us stewards, number two, of what he has given us. Number three, that his principles absolutely work. I can point you to several people in this building who will give you countless examples of times in their life where God has provided because they followed his principles. And most importantly, heaven, heaven is my goal. What are you laying up in the kingdom of heaven? If we could all stand. I know we've had a great altar service already. But I just want to say a prayer together with you that God will help us to unmask this area of our lives and bring it into subjection to Him and to His Word. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with a complete understanding that you own all things and all things belong to you. And that you have made us stewards over all that is yours and given us dominion over this earth. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to follow your principles and to put them into effect into our lives. To be better stewards of what you have given us. To use our blessings and our abundance to help those who are struggling and who are in need and then to advance your kingdom here on this earth. Lord, I pray a special blessing over everyone here under the sound of my voice and beyond through our Facebook live broadcast. Lord, that you will bless them and bless their household as we align ourselves to your word and to your scriptures. Let this church be a city on a hill, a shining example of how blessed and how prosperous and successful you can be when you align yourself and bring yourself into subjection to your principles and to your word. As we leave this place today, every financial decision we make, every money that is spent, I pray that you will guide us and direct us. And the lives and the families and the relationships that have been damaged by this area of our life that we have masked, 
I pray you'll bring restoration in the name of Jesus. Let us bring it all out into the open before you right now. This part of our life that we had kept hidden from you, we tried and from others. We give it to you this morning and ask you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.